Welcome into A to Z Sports Primetime on a Wednesday. I'm your host, Buck Rising, and I'm proud, as always, to be presented to you by our friends at Two Rivers Ford. Two Rivers Ford, since 1983, quality American-made Ford vehicles, both new on the lot, custom-ordered for you, or certified Blue Advantage pre-owned. Two Rivers Ford in Mount Juliet or online at Two Rivers Ford. Dot com. The Ashton Real Estate Group of REMAX Advantage, Gary Ashton, the official real estate agent of the Titans, of the Preds, and of A to Z Sports Prime Time, is the Ashton team. Get your dream address without the stress and the Intel Edge. You need to succeed only at GaryAshton.com. So, a lot of conversation going on around contracts at this time of year, salary cap space, and things of the like. And... More than anything, people are wondering how the hell the Los Angeles Rams are out here uh, are out here looking around and paying everybody that they damn well please at this point. Whether it's Bobby Wagner, who they acquired in free agency, whether it's Cooper Cup, who got a fat new deal just about an hour and a half ago, and then there's Aaron Donald, who became the highest paid non quarterback in the history of professional football earlier this week, and rightfully so. Aaron Donald is a singular player. He is somebody who has who is probably the most impressive player in the league right now. He's probably the best player in the NFL full stop. Now that's, you know, that sounds like a July, early July, end of June sports talk radio conversation. Who really is the best player in the NFL, but for our purposes, it's not about Aaron Donald on its face value. While it is impressive, and we'll talk about how the hell the Rams keep doing this later on in the show, for our purposes, it matters a great deal more what it means for Jeffrey Simmons and how his future contract is affected by the new Aaron Donald deal. Now, for reference, just to give you the terms, um, courtesy of what Adam Schefter was reporting, So they've made him the highest paid non-quarterback in football. His reworked deal gives him a $40 million raise over the last three years of his existing contract. So he will make over $30 million per season. He's the first non-quarterback to do so. So the reworked deal brings the total value of Aaron Donald's contract over the next three seasons to $95 million. So it's a big chunk of change. For a guy who plays a premium position, which we knew, right? We knew that the ten- we knew that the uh, Los Angeles Rams were going to find ways to compensate him. He was kind of out here publicly campaigning for a new deal, given that you know the price tag had gone up for Aaron Donald and for players at that position. Given that it's one of the more important positions in sports right now, in professional football, certainly with a premium being placed on getting after the quarterback's ass. So with Jeff Simmons. I wanted to talk to Mike Janitti, the guy who runs Track, the the NFL, well, really every every sport it would seem now, the salary cap website that gives us all the information that allows us all to armchair general manage in the offseason. And my question for Mike was, how is this going to affect Aaron, how is Aaron Donald's contract going to affect what Jeffrey Simmons is going to make on his next deal? So I want to start there. With you guys, I want to start with your Two Rivers Ford take in the comments on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. 
Let me know how much you think Jeffrey Simmons is going to make a year on his next NFL contract. Remember that he's making about $2 million this year, a little north of $10 million on his fifth-year option as we sit here today. So they've got him for two more cost-controlled seasons. How much will Jeffrey Simmons make per year on his next NFL contract, given the numbers that we have seen come out around the Aaron Donald situation? You guys can let me know in the comment section, and we'll talk about it together right after I tell you about the people who make your Two Rivers Ford take possible. That is, of course, Two Rivers Ford. That's where you go for the Built For You program, which allows you to do what I did, to select any new Ford, any color that you want, with any customizable accessories. That's where you go, Two Rivers Ford, to be exact, to get any new Ford vehicle off the lot that they have in Mount Juliet. It's also where you go for certified Ford Blue Advantage pre-owned vehicles. Because if your pre-owned vehicle is more what fits your budget, you want to know that that vehicle that you're getting is from a place that operates with honesty and integrity. That is at a premium when shopping for a pre-owned vehicle specifically. You want it to be reliable. You want the people who are selling it to you to be reliable. And that's exactly how Two Rivers Ford has built their brand over so many years, over nearly 40 years here in Middle Tennessee. Two Rivers Ford in Mount Juliet or online at tworiversford.com. So how much is Jeff Simmons going to make on an annual average basis? Stephen Crozio says $20 million per year. Omar and Brad both say 25. In the case of Brad, he says 25 plus. Derek R will go $1 lower, Bob, or $1 million lower, Bob, and say 24 million. Corey Gallagher thinks he's going to break the bank at $27 million a year. Well, it's it's a pretty interesting question, right? Because Aaron Donald and Jeff Simmons are not the same. Now, maybe Jeff ends up being some kind of version of what Aaron Donald has been across his career. But through his first couple of seasons, as impressive as Jeff has been, he's not been Aaron Donald, right? Been in the conversation, certainly has the potential to be that kind of disruptive player. He's physically and athletically more gifted than Aaron Donald is because I think the thing that makes Aaron Donald so impressive is that he does it while being not physically overwhelming. Like, he's obviously jacked at the position, but, like, not a big dude wrecking offensive game plans across the league and get, getting all these double teams and still being able to cause all manner of problems. So I asked Mike Janitti about how Aaron Donald's new contract affects Jeffrey Simmons, and this was the guy who runs Tracks response. So if, if Aaron Donald is worth what he is being paid now, understanding that they have done creative accounting with the cap hit to make sure that this deal can remain feasible over the next three years, how much does this impact Jeffrey Simmons, who is cost-controlled this year and on a fifth-year option next year? Quite a bit. Uh, I know that's sour grapes for, for Tennessee fans. And look, they're pretty invested defensively right now. So I do think this is a situation they're going to be monitoring over the next few weeks closely, if not get something done, because the time to strike is now before things get even crazier uh, with higher league caps in 2023 and 2024. Uh, agents are just going to continue to push this gamut more and more and more. So if he was an $18 million player two weeks ago, it's, it's easily 20 now. He was a fringe 20 million per year player uh, coming into this offseason. He's there now because of where things have gone. I'm not sure Aaron Donald specifically should be affecting Jeffrey Simmons' value that much because of the age, because of the pedigree, the resume. Mm -hmm. 
But it, you know how this works. An agent's going to take every piece of information he has and push it to the top. So uh, while I don't believe Simmons will be market resetting with this contract, he is certainly trending towards top five in terms of defensive linemen with that rush situations. So that's Mike Janitti of Track on the radio show today. Uh, you can check out that full interview. We'll play a uh, we'll play a clip of that here in just a we'll play another clip of that here in just a second. But the full interview, we talked about a lot of different things for salary cap conversation, which is relevant to the Titans at this particular point in time. So what uh, what Mike is saying there is that if he was probably if he was an eighteen million dollar player before eighteen million dollar a year player before he's going to be all but guaranteed $20 million a year under Aaron Donald's current 31 and change million dollar average over the next three seasons. Uh, Top Troop on YouTube brings up, didn't Big Jeff have more sacks than Aaron Donald? Um, I would have to, producer Reed perhaps could look up what the sack totals were for Jeffrey and for Aaron Donald in 2021. But it's, I don't want to say that it's irrelevant, but it's not as relevant as you're making it, right? Aaron Donald is a historically unprecedented player. Aaron Donald has been in the NFL for eight years. He was a St. Louis Ram. Like Aaron Donald's been around long enough to have been a St. Louis Ram, which maybe for you guys doesn't feel like a long time, but it's been the better part of a decade in the league. Each of those eight seasons that Aaron Donald has been in the league, he has been a Pro Bowl player. Not the case for Jeff, who is just now making his first Pro Bowl. Uh, or rather, uh, is yes, yes, correct, is just now making his first Pro Bowl and has yet to receive All-Pro acclaim, right? Aaron Donald has been an All-Pro six times of the eight seasons that he's been in the league. There's just, it's a stark resume difference. And, and you know, a considerable amount, this is, this is coming into Jeff's fourth year, right? And Aaron Donald has already played eight seasons at this point. This is the thing that I think kind of gets lost in the shuffle is just it's for an agent's argument's sake, there is an easier case to be made for Aaron Donald to be paid $30 million a year as opposed to Big Jeff, which is great news for you, right? Because Jeff has the talent, all the talent in the world to be that kind of special. The ability, the physical size, all these different things and substantial, substantially better defensive players around him, I think, on, on face value than Aaron Donald does. There are some good defensive players with the Rams, but nothing like they have across the board here in Tennessee, which I think, especially on the front seven, which gives Jeff the ability to capitalize even more. Um, Dadson Worldwide says Donald got 12 and a half sacks, but most came lining up at the edge where it's easier to get sacks. Jeff only had eight and a half, but all of them came lined up at defensive tackle on the inside. Producer Reed, if you could confirm those numbers for me. Not necessarily about the edge. I would have to look up specifically where they were aligned to to give you that information. And it's easier to clean up sacks on the outside, right? But Aaron Donald, um, I would I would have to go through again. I would have to go through and look at the specific edge snaps versus interior snaps, which is something that our friends at Sports Info Solutions uh, do provide. Twelve and a half sacks for Aaron Donald. Reed writes Jeffrey had eight and a half per Pro Football Focus. So our Pro Football Reference. So. Um, continually a more productive player than Jeff to this point in his career. Aaron Donald is like 33. Jeff is coming up on, I think he's going to be like 25, just an absolute man child. Um, But still across their careers to the start of their careers, Aaron Donald has been a more effective, substantially more effective player than Jeffrey Simmons has. Doesn't mean that Jeff's not great and can't cannot continue to be great. 
but it's not the kind of salary cap jump that we're talking about here. Still, top five money for an interior defensive lineman for Jeff Simmons is something that the Titans are having to make sure that they are prepared for. And that's really the only way that the Jeff or that Aaron Donald uh, will uh, that Aaron Donald will affect Jeffrey's contract negotiations, other than the fact that you're trafficking as much with Jeff's potential as you are in anything that Jeff has done on the field. Because as good as he is and as great as he is, he still has the potential to be better, which is going to really make the difference for this Tennessee Titans defensive front. Uh, Top Troop says, not saying that he's on Aaron Donald's level, but he's going to uh, going to need a Defensive Player of the Year award and now a Super Bowl to get that. I'm just saying the production he should get under, like you said, twenty a little under 20 to 21. Yeah, that's basically what we're looking at right now. A ballpark $20 million a year figure for Jeffrey Simmons. And, you know, the longer that they wait, right, the longer that they wait to do a deal with Jeff, the price is going to continue to go up. I made this reference on the radio show today. It's like the Pusha T Diet Coke song. Yesterday's price is not today's price. And that's how the contract situations are going to continue to mount up for the Tennessee Titans or any team who's trying to negotiate big money deals, just as the wide receiver market went crazy. Yesterday's price is not going to be today's price or even tomorrow's price, which is what makes the uh, importance of getting a deal done with Jeffrey sooner rather than later. So let's talk about cap compliance at this point and get into the conversation around uh, around why the Titans and teams like the Titans are taking a more conservative approach to their spending than what we see from what I what I call a pyramid scheme in the NFL with what's happening with the Los Angeles Rams. So the question that I want to ask you on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch, why do you believe the Titans are not following the Rams' lead? And just for added context, read, add when it comes to the NFL salary cap. Why do you believe the Titans are not following the Rams' lead when it comes to the NFL's salary cap? Let me know on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and on Twitch, how you feel about the situation. And we will discuss at length together. You'll hear more from Mike Giannitti here in just a second. But why do you believe the Titans are not following the Rams' lead when it comes to the NFL's salary cap? We'll talk about that together right after I tell you about the person who can help you manage your financial cap when it comes to your real estate needs and investments. That's Gary Ashton and the Ashton Real Estate Group of REMAX Advantage at GaryAshton.com. The official real estate agent of the Nashville Predators and of A to Z Sports Primetime is the Gary Ashton team. They're the best in the business because they help you succeed, help you win with the Intel edge that only GaryAshton.com can provide to you. Gary Ashton and the Ashton Real Estate Group of REMAX Advantage will help you capitalize on your dream address without the stress, get your dream address without the stress, or sell your home for more if you are in the market to do so, courtesy of the Ashton team. So, for all the different ways that the uh, that the Los Angeles Rams have gone about doing business, why aren't the Titans and teams like the Titans following suit? Now, we have to understand this on the front end, right? No, no one... NFL situation is created equal. So the Titans are not in the exact same space as the Rams are, 
for a variety of different reasons, how they've managed their cap over the years, how they've done in drafts or how little draft capital a team like the Rams has had, you know, largely at all. Uh, you uh, honestly, I have no idea, says Bryce Erickson, but I wish that we did follow the Rams lead there. Omar says we operate like the Patriots. We're cut from that tree. And I do think that there is, there is some of the, there's this, it's probably a variety of different answers, right? Cause Keelan brings up, you don't have the Rams owners money and that's true, right? Uh, what, uh, oh damn. What is uh, it's Stan Kroenke, Stan Kroenke, who married into the Walmart family, who, by the way, the Walmart family just picked up another NFL franchise, the heir to the Walton family fortune just bought the Denver Broncos for a cool price tag of 4.5 billion. But Stan Kroenke has unbelievable amounts of wealth that the Tennessee Titans as an organization do not have. They are one of the more cash-poor organizations in the league. Um, It took a considerable amount of effort for them to liquidate, for example, $700 million in assets just to be the primary source of funding for this upcoming stadium project that they are pushing. And you have to have the cash on hand if you're going to be handing out contracts and all these guaranteed money contracts and you know that you have to put the money in escrow for that money to be immediately available in the case of like Deshaun Watson and the Browns right you have to have 230 million dollars guaranteed before you give it to Deshaun otherwise it's not guaranteed money right there's all different manner of things that make the accounting on this relevant even as the salary cap for a team like the Rams doesn't really look like it's real so we were talking about this Mike Janiti of Spotrack and myself on the radio show today, and I asked him why teams are or are not following the lead of the Los Angeles Rams right now. But I'm looking at this, Mike, and still kind of kind of blown away by the aggressiveness of it and the lack of aggressiveness from the rest of the NFL teams who may be in a similar situation to the Rams. I think a lot of it has to come down to coaching, and I'm not sure that's being talked about enough because a lot of these teams that are going all in to some degree but not to the level that the Rams have, like, like to talk Broncos, for instance, right? I mean, the, there's so much new to the Broncos. It's not just Russell Wilson dropping on that team. It's a completely brand-new coaching staff coming along with him. So the fact that they had the Rams, this Sean McVay system and this less-needed you know, mindset with the general manager coming down, the fact that that was already in place and kind of baked into the system, it makes it a heck of a lot easier for players to hop on board, get their contracts figured out, and then just dive in. So I, I do think that's a big element that other teams may not have yeah. at their luxury right now that uh, that's holding them back from going 100% all in financially. Something to keep in consideration there, right? There's a variety of different reasons why a team like the Titans can't or won't necessarily continue to follow the path of the Los Angeles Rams. Now, maybe – in a different cycle, in a different in, in a couple of years, as these things advance and go along, you will see a situation where it becomes more uh, more relevant for the Los Angeles Rams or for the uh, Tennessee Titans teams of that nature to be able to do something like this. But for now, the Rams are in a particularly unique situation, and it's a situation that they've designed. Ultimately, the bill is going to come due eventually for the Rams, and they will be in a bad position because of all the maneuvering that they've done in this process and it's not you know bad bad position quote unquote right because if they get another Super Bowl out of this and continue to create contenders throughout the course of this current cycle that leaves them lacking in a couple of years then it'll end up have been being worth it for Sean McVay Les Snead Stan Kroenke 
and the Rams organization because they will have done the thing that allows them to win championships, right? And that's the kind of thing that's the kind of thing that you're doing when it means when it comes to cost benefit analysis. And at this point, that seems to be the trajectory that the Los Angeles Rams are on. Not seems to be. It is the trajectory that the Los Angeles Rams are on. Now, there, there's a lot more ground that Mike and I covered um, in the pot or on the radio show today. It's in your podcast feeds if you uh, subscribe to the radio show podcast. And if you don't, simply search The Buck Rising Show in your favorite podcast app where we have guests like Mike, like Kevin Byard yesterday. We've got uh, Chris Burke, who's on the call for the Tennessee uh, not- the Tennessee Notre Dame Super Regional Baseball game. We've got a lot of great guests coming up on the radio show throughout the rest of the week, so make sure that you don't miss a minute by subscribing to the podcast, or you can listen to the radio show live from 10 to 1 on 104.5 The Zone. Um, Dadson says, you can't fill the stands in Tennessee if you win three or four years and then lose three or four years. Uh, the Rams plan to completely rebuild and for four or five years, they will make up for it. Contend five of six years over spending to then eat, eat that and make up for it four or five years in the rut. Right. It's, you know, I don't know about those, the, that timeline specifically. Um, I can't speak to that specifically, but generally that principle is, is the guiding principle for the Los Angeles Rams right now. And I think that's the thing that kind of catches people up. And, you know, the reality of the situation is not all NFL circumstances are created equal. And I think we're kind of seeing that with the Rams and a lot of other teams in the league at this point. Let's talk about cringy behavior and the Washington football team, the Washington commanders, who are perpetually in the news cycle for the wrong reasons. Uh, now, the Titans do play the the Washington football team, I think, in D.C. Um, later in October or, or in the month of October. Um, which I always enjoy because I love, well, I don't enjoy uh, FedEx field because it's a dump where the Washington football team plays, but I do love going to Washington, DC. I've lived a couple of years in uh, Alexandria, Virginia, right across the river from right across the Potomac from Washington, DC, when my mom was uh, still working in uh, still actively, uh, still, still actively working as a lobbyist for a telecom firm and working with uh, different entities on Capitol Hill. So I love going to D.C. Now, the football team is terrible, um, but what what we have to talk about is what their defensive coordinator, Jack Del Rio, said today. Now, the question that I'm posing to you is, what else will the commanders do wrong before the season starts? And that is the question that we need to discuss, because um, as as the, as the things that we all we all experience the January 6th situation together. We all watched the news coverage of it. We all saw what took place. And even as a result, even as a result, as there is, you know, in any different segment of society or in any different conversation societally, uh, people have varying opinions on what exactly happened there, the coverage of it, and a variety of different things. Now, I'm not here to relitigate things that are uh, federal government is currently trying to investigate and deter- make their own determinations. I'm not smart enough to do so, and uh, and I would not endeavor to try. But when football coaches start tweeting about this stuff, it typically never goes well one way or the other. Um, so when Jack Del Rio starts tweeting about congressional investigations into January 6th and his and his uh, Comments on it are, what's the proper term? 
counter culture to what has been investigated and already confirmed as fact, uh, you have Jack Del Rio out there at a press conference where he's being asked about these tweets. And Jack Del Rio says, you know what? Damn it all to hell. I'm doubling down in front of all these microphones. I don't care how much shit our organization is already in or how Ron Rivera would feel about this. I'm Jack Del Rio, and I'm going to say what I want. Okay, Jack. Let's get right down to it. What did I ask? A simple question. Why are we not looking into those things? We're going to talk about it. Why are we not looking into those things? Because it's kind of hard for me to say I can realistically look at it. I see the images on TV. People's livelihoods are being destroyed. Businesses are being burned down. No problem. And then we have a dust up at the Capitol. Well, there's nothing burned down. And we're not going to talk about, we're going to make that a major deal. I just think it's kind of two standards. And if we apply the same standard and we're going to be reasonable with each other, let's have a discussion. Now, <laughs> I, I largely, here's the thing, okay? Like, Jack's point at the end, I largely agree with. Like, let's just have a discussion about things in ways where it doesn't turn into a shouting match. But also, in the same stride, Jack has to be cognizant of his words. And however you view the January 6th situation, however you process it, whatever your political allegiances are, you can't look at what happened on January 6th and the images of that and call it a dust-up when you coach for the Washington, D.C. commanders. <laughs> it's just, you can't do it. <laughs> you can't do it, Jack. Okay? Like, I'm not here, I'm not here to parse. We've we, you guys spent a summer with me during COVID and the George Floyd murder and all these different things. And we have had reasonable and nuanced discussions about it. But Del Rio, I understand like a, a little dust up is not what you can call. <laughs> you just you can't do it. Literally, anybody could agree on that of all these things. So while I I am in agreement with Jack's premise that we need to have conversations civilly and that we cannot have shouting matches with one another and that we need to have internal conversations, right side, left side, whatever, okay? <laughs> I'm not, one, I'm not doing whataboutism with you, Jack, about what happened at the Capitol, all right? I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. It's like when we're talking about LIV golf, and somebody calls in the radio show today and says, well, you can't talk about how the golfers are taking Saudi money without talking about um, without talking about the NBA in China. And I completely acknowledge that. There are some deep, I mean, hell, every time I look at my damn iPhone, I have a conflict of interest if I have any kind of care whatsoever about human rights issues, right? Because of where things like this are manufactured and because of all the different natures of different companies who have conflicts of interest, whatever, Nikki, Nika Alvin. He says, just jumped in at the right time or the wrong time, obviously. Nico, we're, we're doing our best here, okay? <laughs> but I I find it, I find it, I, I understand why people do, well, what about this versus what about that? I don't care about whataboutism. I want to talk about both issues. I want to talk about the conflicts that are presented in those issues. And also, Jack, you can't call the damn thing a dust up. It's just, that's not how it works. <laughs> not that's not how it works whatsoever 
And Jack Del Rio has since put out a public apology about how casual, casually he called the January 6th situation a dust-up. You just got it. If you're going to talk and if you're going to want to get out there and discuss it, you have to be cognizant of your words. And that is something that Jack Del Rio has learned today. An important lesson that all of us should keep in mind. Goodness. What else are the Washington? Well, I don't know what else the Washington football team could screw up before the season starts. Um, whether it be, you know, uh, raw sewage leaking down on fans at FedEx field, whether it be how that, how that terrible, how that terrible stadium almost collapsed on Jalen hurts in uh, one of the last games of the regular season where a bunch of Eagles fans just fall out of the stands almost on the quarterback, whether it's, you know, all the things that uh, the federal government is now investigating into the Washington football team. It's, it's just, it's just a terrible franchise, just a generally terrible franchise. And they can't see, they can't help, but continue to step in it on a regular basis. Great stuff there. Okay. Um, Daniel Craig says not forcing Dan Snyder out would be a mistake. You know, that's interesting, Daniel, because we were talking about this within the context of Deshaun Watson uh, today and, uh, uh, and looking at, uh, and looking at, you know, why, because the Houston Texans are now implicated for providing him, not just hotel rooms for some of these massages, but, uh, but for, uh, but for providing him with non-disclosure agreements when one of the women, when one of the women, one of the accusers of Deshaun Watson had issues and now the Texans are implicated in all this shit. Um, the league does not run Dan Snyder out because they don't want more situations like who's on the other side of John Gruden's emails to come out. They don't want more, more people looking into Jerry Jones and his hush money this off season. They don't want people investigating further into the Washington football team because if one billionaire NFL owner skeleton gets out and people are already sniffing around, more of that is going to come out. That's the, that's why the league does these internal investigations and doesn't make their findings public because they don't want to create an internal shitstorm about all of this more than they already have, right? So it's very, very much controlling the message. That's why the NFL doesn't run Dan Snyder out the league because they don't want other people. They don't want to set the precedent of what happens when you dig into an owner's background for all of their 32 ownership groups, or I guess 31 ownership groups in the Green Bay Packers um, because that's a publicly owned entity so yeah, they don't want other people digging into the other billionaires because maybe it's not as bad as bad as Dan Snyder, but there's plenty of bad shit in a lot of those rich people's backgrounds, just as there's bad shit in probably all of our backgrounds. But when you're operating at a billionaire business level, you're going to have more opportunities to be exposed just by the nature of how you do business and how it is that you go about making your money. Anyway, uh, let's... Wrap this show up on a Wednesday night. Thank you guys, as always, for the great conversation. I appreciate you hanging out and spending some time with us. Uh, we'll do it one more night for primetime this week, tomorrow night at 8 p.m. We'll have a lot to talk about. Dan Lust, uh, sports attorney on the radio show tomorrow. We'll talk about the legal implications of the New York Times report on Deshaun Watson, which, of course, is the biggest story in sports. I mentioned Chris Burke, who works for ESPN. He's going to be on the call for the Tennessee Volunteers and Notre Dame Baseball Super Regional, and Bob Herrig, who covers golf on a day-in, day-out basis, to talk about what the hell is happening, uh, what the hell is happening with the PGA Tour, LIV Golf, and Phil Mickelson in his, uh, in his very, uh, in his very interesting, uh, in his very interesting, just 
attire and his new look, new look Phil is is concerning at this point. Bryce Erickson says Buck 2024. Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. All right. Listen, this is why politics is terrible because the people who are who are who are smart enough to be good politicians have want no business with the political process whatsoever. So I'm not saying that I'm I'm smart enough to be a politician. But what I'm saying to you is I'm smart enough to not get into politics because I can do all kinds of silly shit and have a bunch of fun and uh, and poke fun at all sides right right here from this seat, which makes me very happy to do. All right. You guys have a great night. Radio show starts at 10 tomorrow. If you miss any of it live, check out the podcast. New episode of The Install. Speaking of podcasts, our episode this week with Greg Cosell. We're going around the AFC South and taking a look at all the work that the Texans, Jags, and Colts have done to try and keep pace with the Titans, who don't have as good a roster as they have had in the last couple of years. Uh, Dadson says at the end, you are into politics. You drop these uh, seeds like this, Buck. Well, here's let me let me not let me not uh, let me be clear. I very much enjoy politics. I I love political discussion. Both my parents worked in uh, politics and government and international diplomacy for. In the case of my mom, international diplomacy for 35 years. My dad was an Egyptian uh, diplomat to the United States for the Egyptian government. I'm fascinated by the political process, and I love. I'll con- I consume it. I consume it probably as much. I mean, politics is what I do for fun. You guys do sports for fun. I do politics for fun, right? But in my uh, in my own way, and I understand what this platform is, not as a means to express political beliefs or um, influence political discussion, but when the two worlds collide, I think I have a pretty good background to be able to stand on and work through these discussions with you in ways that are fair and nuanced and, and, you know, ways that we can all engage in respectfully. Now, maybe some of you disagree with my particular approach and, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to please anybody with any time that you wade into those waters. Right. But I think that you guys you guys have shown yourselves willing and able to have conversations like this, which I love. And I love that you trust me to be able to come here and have discussions like this with me in ways that productive may not be the word, but that are that are fair and that you feel like your side of the discussion is being heard. And we work through those things together within the realm of sports, right? Um, now, like I said, maybe some of you disagree with that. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's not every day that I have, I have a Washington commander's defensive coordinator talking about dust ups in the Capitol, just dropping in my lap. And then, you know, what in, in my defense, Jack Del Rio is the one who pulled me into this, not me the other way around. But what are you going to do? I'll see you guys tomorrow. Talk to you on the radio show one more time for primetime this week. Have a great rest of your evening.